Uh, oh. um, my name is Milo, and I am not the campus minister uh, of RUF. I'm an intern, Matt Howell's campus minister, but uh, <laughs> y'all will be here. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Uh, I am excited to be with y'all. I have been preparing this for a while, so um, I pray that y'all would, you know, please try to see Jesus through this. Um, so that's my um, request. Anyway, um, I guess I'll just jump right into it. Uh, I guess bring out, there it is. Get that out, and I'm going to read this. We're going through Mark, um, Mark chapter 4, Jesus calming the storm. Um, so let me read it, and then uh, we'll consider it. Um, On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's God's word for us tonight. Um, Let me pray for us, and then we will consider it. Now let's pray. Um, Dear Lord, uh, we are very thankful that we can come here and hear your word. We're thankful for it. Um, Be with me. Be with these students tonight. We pray your Holy Spirit would attend your word and that we would learn something from it. Um, So we would ask that in uh, in your name. Amen. So if you guys have been with us at any point through the semester, we've been going through the book of Mark. And specifically, we've been going through Mark, the first eight chapters, and we've been, we've been observing who is Jesus, or, you know, who is Jesus? Uh, and we've been doing that through these first eight chapters, and the first eight chapters paint a beautiful picture of it. Um, so, but as I read this story and meditated on it and kind of was involved in it and thinking about it, uh, I realized that we get very up close and personal with Jesus in the story. Um, so if we're to think of this story, um, and specifically the whole... Uh, the whole Mark series that we've been going through, the sermon series, um, think about this in a picture book. Um, you know, each picture, each story representing a different picture, different scenes, different people, uh, different landscapes, different things happening. Uh, this would be a photograph that is um, an action shot. This would be a shot of 40 feet above the water, kind of back, looking into the boat, seeing the disciples kind of flipping out. You see Jesus awaking, like, you know, just being woken from his disciples, panting and pleading with him. Uh, You'd be able to see the wind, and well, not the wind, but the water being blown up from the wind. Uh, You'd be able to see the the clouds kind of darkening out the day. Um, But there's there's something very uh, specific about this, um, which is very interesting, is that it's a very detailed shot. This photo is different because it's very detailed. Uh, it's one of those shots where you can, like, take your phone and, you know, zoom in. It's one of those pictures you can zoom in, like, 15 times before it starts to lose resolution. Um, so rather than seeing just the disciples, you can see, like, the veins on the disciples' arm as they're, like, holding onto the boat as they're about to be, to- like, tossed overboard. You can see the dirt on their togas or whatever they wore back then. Uh, you, can, you can see a lot of detail. Like, you see Jesus, you see, like, not only do you see the wind or the water, but you see, like, the, the wind separating each individual droplet 
um, in the air. Um, it's a very detailed. You can even see the ridges on Jesus' face as he's just woken up from this cushioned pillow now. Um, so, you know, we see this, and it paints a very, it's a very focused and detailed picture exclusively on Jesus and exclusively on us, and all that according to suffering. So we're going to go through three points uh, tonight. We're going to look at how Jesus prepares us for our suffering. We're going to look at how he approaches us in our suffering. And we're going to look at how Jesus responds to us after our suffering. How he prepares us for our suffering. How he approaches us in suffering. And how he responds to us after suffering. Okay. So as we look at the story, uh, in this exact passage, we can't really see how Jesus prepares us. It seems like we hop on the boat, or Jesus, you know, we kind of jump into the story, and Jesus is like, let's go to the other side. So how does he prepare us? Like, you know... There's nothing in this exact text that we can see, but if we kind of take a step back, like step back from this, and we observe what Jesus has been doing up until this moment, we see that he's been teaching. Jesus has been teaching his disciples up until this moment, um, and you know he's been doing this by you know like observably teaching them. Um, you know he's been preaching them. He's been preaching to the crowds. Um, he's been you know he's been. Uh, He's been teaching them in the ways that he's showing them who he is by healing, you know, possessed people. Healing the sick. He has been interacting with people. He has been rebuking the Pharisees because everyone knows the Pharisees suck and they're basically like on Jesus' case constantly. Um, But he's been doing many things, teaching parables and stuff and doing ministry essentially. Um, And that's how Jesus prepares us for our suffering is he teaches us. Um, When I was in college, uh, my very... Uh, my main focus for college was I went, you know, I went there to be a forensic scientist. Or I went there and studied forensic science. Some of you know that, some of you don't. Um, I was a chemistry concentration, um, and you know, I got there, didn't really know what to expect as far as you know, what do I expect for forensic science? Um, and you know, I, I realized when I got there, you know, it was a different, like it was harder than I expected. It was different. And some of you guys know if you've been in a science class, it's very, it's a different kind of thinking. It's kind of conceptual. You kind of you know, it's more involved. I'm not saying other things aren't hard to do, but it's not so much like memorize this. Like, I can't sit in my dorm and eat Cheetos and expect to make an A on this exam. Like, I have to be in class. You know, what? That's, that's one thing I really noticed was that I had to be in class to, to get this. Um, I had to be involved in the class. I had to see the teacher work out these problems on the board. I had to meditate on the concept she was, you know, telling me about. Um, it was, it was a very involved class, um, and I had to do that or I was going to flunk out of college. That was one of my two options. Either I'm going to buckle down and learn and be in class and doing this, or I'm going to flunk out. Um, so I needed to ask questions. I needed to be there. I needed to learn from the teacher. Um, and that's what you see right here. You know, the disciples are in class with, you know, Jesus. Uh, Jesus has been preparing them. <clears throat> the teacher is teaching them. And you guys understand what this is. You guys are in college. It's a college ministry. Um, The whole reason you guys are here is to, like, learn about your occupation you want to pursue. You know, you want to be a banker, so you come to school. Banking's not a major, is it? Finance. Finance. You want to, like, I'm not going to hire you as a banker if you, like, studied biology. Like, it's just not, like, fact. That's not going to happen. Um, so, like, you're here to prepare. Not only are you learning and getting this experience, you're also interacting with people that are, you know, you're doing extracurriculars. You're learning how to interact with people. Um, you know, also, it's the same way with your faith in the church. You know, if you uh, are a Christian and you're in church, you know, you're learning from 
the church. You're, you're coming to RUF. You're coming to, to hear things. You know, literally the pastor's whole position, like he knows how to interpret the Bible and make it applicable to your lives. Like Matt went to school to do that. I didn't. So I'm in process now. But so this is still valid, by the way. So y'all should still listen. <laughs> um, so... That's what he does. You know, you need the church not only for your teaching and instruction, but also your experience. Um, so, kind of the same way here. You know, as Jesus, you know, he he teaches them. The next thing that Jesus does, as he prepares or he prepares them for their suffering by teaching them, and he approaches us in our suffering uh, in one way or in two ways. First, being that he tests them. Jesus approaches us our suffering, approaches us in our suffering by testing us. Um, so we look at this passage and look at verse 35, uh, what's happening. You know, I'll read it again. On that day when Jesus had come, he said to them, let us go across to the, to the other side. Um, it's interesting because Jesus is the one that's insisting they go to the other side. Um, very interesting. Uh, and if Jesus is who he says he is, you know, he's been proclaiming this whole time that he's the son of God, uh, meaning that he is God himself. Uh, and if he's saying he is God, he has the qualities of who God is. Like he's omnipotent, he's sovereign, um, he's all-knowing, all-powerful. Uh, these are the things that the Old Testament, you know, these qualities they give to God or that the Old Testament gives to God. So, if, you know, if Jesus is all these qualities, what is this saying about him? Well, he knows about the storm. Jesus knows about the storm. He knows where he's taken the disciples, and he's going to test them. In the same way, he does the same with us. He tests us. Um, so, okay, I, I know that word test tends to you, you ruffle your feathers a little bit. You love it. You can't wait for tests. No, you hate it. I mean, it's, it's this environment that you're in that you don't hate it, but it carries a bad connotation in this environment. Um, but the way in Jesus is testing them is he's not doing it in a way that's like, let's stomp them out like a cigarette. Like, let's... Like, let's give them the faith test to see if they pass. No, he's not. He's, uh, he's testing his disciples to see where they run and where they turn when the pressure gets turned up. He's going to show them exactly where they trust, exactly what they trust in. He's going to expose that to them. Um, very much like this sermon for me. Um, <laughs> one of my responsibilities in this internship and in my discipline, uh, one of the things that I had to do for this internship is preach, and I'm doing it now, but it was the most challenging thing I've had to do. Um, it's very challenging. And I remember sitting, uh, I was in Panera Bread, we used to meet regularly, we meet regularly one a week, like once a week, and I remember sitting with him, uh, and he was across from me, uh, kind of insisting, hey, you know, what do you think about preaching this semester? And this was the second or third semester, even this early this year, and you know, I kind of gave him a barrage of excuses, oh, I don't really want to, I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't know the students well enough. I just kept throwing him, him these excuses since first semester. Um, and I remember like looking at him and him looking back at me. And he says, Milo, you're going to preach this semester. And immediately I started sweating. I started getting nervous. I was anxious, like, you know, just going crazy. And, but why was, I, like, why was I doing that? I mean, I knew this whole time, like with this internship, like I filled out the application. You're going to preach. You know, are you cool with that? Yes, I'm fine with that. Um, you know, even in the interview, they asked me, how do you feel about preaching? Yeah, cool with that. Even when Matt kept insisting from first semester, you know, hey, how do you feel about preaching? Like, yeah, I'm cool with that. <laughs> or was I, you know, I was giving him excuses, but 
you know, it, it's interesting, but why did I get nervous when that happened, when he finally was like, we're going to preach? Because I knew it, it was a test. I knew that it was coming. I knew that it was going to expose me and put me somewhere. It was going to show me where I turned. It was a hard test. Um, I had learned how to... I had learned how to trust Jesus in RUF and through the church, and now it was time for me to actually do it. Um, Go through a hard thing, to do something hard, and to trust Jesus through the hard part of this. Um, So, but more often than not, we don't respond very well to challenges or tests or uh, anything like that. You know, ten. You know, (laughs) I tend to do many things, and I'm sure you guys do this as well. Um, you know, what do we do? You know, more often than not, we, we decide to run. We try to escape. We try to get away. We try to avoid our trials. Um, you know, one of the good ways, you know, this manifests itself in several ways, and one of the ways we do it is we ignore our situation. Like, things get hard, and I put it out of my mind. Like, I don't think about it. If you can't think about it, if you don't think about it, it's not there, right? Yeah? Yeah, duh. No, but that's what we do is we tend to run. Our trials come and we, we try to ignore the situation. Another way we do it is uh, we eat food. Um, yeah, <laughs> we do. Uh, have you guys ever heard of the phrase comfort food? Yeah. We're uncomfortable and we eat food for comfort. Like it's, it's very plain, but we do that. Like our trials get hard. We want to run, so we eat food. <laughs> oh. <laughs> No more laughing. <laughs> um, another way we run or we try to get away or avoid our trials is we do stuff. Um, we try to stay as busy as we can. We, we cram our schedule full with extracurriculars and several things. And if you're a Christian, you even pawn your ministry off on like, like you won't do your responsible things and you avoid your trials because you're doing the Christian thing. Like, oh, I can't do my schoolwork right now. Like, Jesus first, love God, love your neighbor, right? You know? I mean, we do this. Like, I do this. Um, You know, another way we do it is we sleep. We disconnect from the world. Things get hard and we pull away. We sleep. We disconnect. Um, And and, uh, one of my favorites in college uh, and now is the social media vortex. Um, Things get hard and we go to Twitter, Facebook. We look for confirmation there. We get on Netflix, YouTubes. YouTubes? We... (laughs) We get on the YouTubes, uh, and we watch, <laughs> we watch YouTubes after YouTubes, and, uh, you know, this just spirals and spirals, and finally you've watched 15 hours or, or you know, a ton of time on, you know, YouTubes, and, uh, <laughs> and then it's 4 a.m., and you're like, well, got to go to bed, you know? You guys do this. Um, I do this. This is how we run and escape, and we try to get away from our trials. Um, but Jesus approaches our suffering in another way. Um, he tests us, and he sleeps. It's fascinating, again, how he interacts with the storm. Uh, Jesus gets on the boat, um, and he you know, doesn't say he falls asleep until it's like they come and wake him, but he gets on the boat, the storm hits, and somewhere in between, Jesus has fallen asleep. Uh, and I'm sure what you know, most of you are thinking is like some cushion. must be a really good cushion. You know, they didn't have cushions back then. So this is very rare. That's why Jesus is sleeping. No, that's not why he's sleeping. Um, <laughs> but uh, Jesus is sleeping. Um, you know, 
he's leaving for two reasons. Jesus, uh, he's been actively involved in his ministry. He's been rebuking Pharisees, teaching people, Bible studies. He's been preaching. He's been one-on-one with his disciples. Um, And he's been sleeping because he's human. Um, Jesus is a human. He experiences things that we do. Um, Trials, hardships, uh, pain, all these things. Uh, That's why he sleeps in one reason. But that's not the only reason he's sleeping. Jesus is sleeping for another reason. And he sleeps because he he knows who he is. Jesus sleeps because he knows who he is. So what does that mean, Jesus knows who he is? Um, In ancient cultures, it was a common consensus among them uh, that the sea was this representation of unstoppable, uncontrollable force. That it was, you know, it it was like, you can't do anything with the sea. Like, it's dangerous. It's uncontrollable. We can't do anything. Most of these cultures at this time didn't even mess with the sea. You know, they just left it alone. It was a sign of evil, of badness, of bad things. Uh, And there's a story of an ancient king. Uh, He was an ancient Danish king. Uh, That's all the research I did in that area. Sorry if you were looking for history. Um, But he was an ancient Danish king named King Canute. Um, And I heard the story, or I read the story, did some research on the story, uh, and it involves him and his court, you know, the people that kind of advise him. Okay, so he takes place in like the 1100s, like very long time ago. So they still have courts and advising people, advising things. Um, anyway, his court was very, they flattered him often. You know, they would constantly say things like, King, you're the best, you're the greatest. Anything you want to do will work. You know, you put your hand to it and it will do it. And one day the king, you know, after several, like, sessions of this flattery, he finally approached his court and said, you think I can do anything? You think I can do anything I want? And of course they're like, yes, king, yes, you're the best, you're the greatest. Anything you want to do, you can do. And, you know, so he's like, okay. So he grabbed his chair. He grabbed his chair and he went outside to the ocean. Apparently he lived next to an ocean or to a sea and put his chair down at the, like, where the waves were breaking. And he turned to his court and said, you think I can do anything I want? And they're, of course, they're like, yes, king, anything you want to do, can, you know, you can do, you can do it. Um, you're the best king ever. Uh, and he says, okay, well, I'm going to stop the ocean. You think I can stop the ocean? And they're like, yeah, king, you got it, you know, go king. I mean, you know, really there was like, you know, hey, king, you know, we believe you can. We're in this far. Yes, king, you got it. So they were kind of banking on, you know, things. Um, but he goes and sits down at the, you know, in his chair. But it was a very nice chair. Uh, and he sits down and he commands the ocean to stop. And nothing happens. The waves keep, keep rolling. They keep coming up. And you can imagine kind of the tension building. You know, and then he rebukes the sea again and says, I command you to stop. And nothing happens again. And he sits there for a minute. Of course, you can feel the awkwardness. Like, it's like the tension is so thick. And he turns and says to his, you know, his people, to his court, he's like, I can't do that. I'm not God. Only God can stop the ocean. So essentially, when Jesus stops the ocean, he is proving his divinity. He is proving his godhood in one swift sentence. Um, and that's why Jesus can sleep. Jesus knows that he can sleep because he's God. Um, when you sleep, you know, you may know this, but, I mean, you probably know this, but you're completely vulnerable. Like, when, when you are sleeping, like, you are completely at risk. You're completely exposed. You're completely vulnerable in many ways. 
So many times in crime scenes, you'll see someone who's been sedated so they can kill them. You know, it takes their sense away. They can be sleeping, and they just kill them, ax them real quick. It's common. Um, so Jesus is... <laughs> so, <laughs> oops. <laughs> uh, I studied forensic science in college, so... Uh, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> so Jesus is completely vulnerable and exposed, and he's sleeping because he knows he's God. Um, But his disciples really despise that he is sleeping. Um, Look at what it says in verse 38. I'm going to turn around and read it. Um, But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The disciples have an issue with this. Um, And it doesn't seem like their response is is really that bad. You know, it's like, oh, do you not care that we're perishing? In reality, they are very much taking a kidney shot to Jesus right here. They're really laying it on him. Um, you know, they are outright, like, just very blatant, you know, defiance. Or not defiance, but distrust in this moment. You know, outwardly criticizing Jesus. The disciples are truly feeling abandoned in this moment. And so many times I hear this from you guys and hear this from my friends that you feel like Jesus is sleeping and that he's abandoned you and that he's turned his face from you, that he's not even there. Um, You know, life is hard and trials are hard. And, you know, I'm sure a a lot of you have experienced really deep, you know, wounding, you know, things. Like people have deceived you in deep, intimate ways and lied to you. Um, You've lost family members and you've, you know, experienced these things. And you've experienced, you know, the fallen world and sin up close and personal. And you question the existence of God and you question the existence of what is life about. Uh, And and I I tell you, those are valid questions. Those are extremely valid questions to have. You know, does he love me? This is natural. Um, But Jesus, he looks at us in those moments and he compassionately and lovingly says, I know. Like, I get it. I understand. I know. I get it. Um, Hold on to that idea Um, for a second. I'm going to cover that in my next point. But I'm going to leave you hanging for a short bit. But anyway, that leads me to my third point. Um, How does Jesus respond to us after suffering? How does he respond to us after suffering? Jesus realigns us and he saves us. In the story, you, know, you see the disciples are terrified of the storm. Um, and, you know, they flee, they go to Jesus, and we see what Jesus does in verse 40. I'm going to use this one. Right, that one. Verse 40, he says, uh, he said to them, meaning Jesus, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Um, and it's like, it's like, when we hear this phrase, you know, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? We tend to think of Jesus as this brute, this kind of like, you know, angry fisted Jesus, you know, like, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Do you not know that I love you? Yeah, you tend to think of Jesus on this brutish side, like not loving, very uncompassionate. Then on this other side, you may read this and think Jesus is this very guilt driven, you know, God, very small, very timid, kind of like, do you not know that I cared for you? You know, do you not know? Like, I, I love you. You know, do you, but, but, you know, I'm going to blow both of those up right now and just say that's not true. Um, that's not how Jesus is, is, that's not how it's happening. That's not what Jesus is saying. Look at the language he uses. Um, he says, why are you afraid? Not why were you afraid. He says, why are you afraid? And what Jesus is saying in this moment is, you know, you were scared and I delivered you. 
You were, you were scared, and I came, and I stopped the storm. You thought you were going to die. You're not going to die. I saved you. And, you know, you can see on the other side when, you know, Jesus saves them, and they are terrified of Jesus. You know, have I not, and what Jesus is saying in that moment, have I not showed you that I love you very much, but I'm also very powerful? That I haven't abandoned you? That I'm powerful enough to stop this? To be with you? That I am with you? The whole time I was on the boat with you. I won't let this happen, is what Jesus says. He says, you know, I'm with you. I'm powerful and I'm loving. Um, And I think the disciples miss this, and I think we miss this way too often as well. Uh, The fact is, when Jesus does this, he is on their team. Jesus is on their team. Um, he is for them. He is showing his love, his compassion, and his, his longing to be with them. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't scare us from following, following him. He loves us into it. Some of you may watch NBA basketball. There's a player on the Chicago Bulls uh, named Derrick Rose. Yep, Nathaniel likes that. Uh, if you have... Uh, you know, some of you may not know, but Derrick Rose is a very gifted, very good at basketball. He's a very good basketball player. Um, he went to a predominant, you know, top 25 in the nation high school to play basketball, like went there, went to Memphis University, played for a year. After his freshman year, he got drafted into the NBA. Um, that year, he was rookie of the year. The year after that, he got a bid to the All-Star game. And the year after that, he won the MVP. Uh, Derrick Rose is a good basketball player. And not long after he got this, um, this deal, or sorry, this, uh, uh, this MVP, Chicago Bulls like signed him to a $100 million five-year contract extension. And like the NBA literally made a rule about like you can't, like, can't use more than one-third of your salary cap on a player. They call it the Derrick Rose rule, um, obviously. Um, but, <laughs> um, you know, not long after he got this contract extension, Derrick Rose uh, was injured in a game of the playoffs. Uh, he sustained a, a, a season-ending injury and a potential season, like next season injury, he tore his ACL and was damaged. They were, they were expected, you know, him to be out for five to, I think it was five to ten, twelve months. Like, he wasn't expected to play the rest of that year or at all. Um, for a while, um, he finally got, you know, got surgery in May, and he's been playing. He started playing this year. Adidas jumped on this bandwagon, and, you know, they have the return, hashtag the return, Twitter it, Twitters it, Twitter tubes, whatever. <laughs> um, so he, uh, he, had his, his, he had his ACL repaired, and, and immediately after the doctors cleared him um, to start rehab, he did. He, he started immense rehab immediately after he could. Like, and I'm not sure if you guys have ever had rehab. I haven't. I heard it sucks. Especially when you do it at a rigorous pace, you know, training your knee, like re-strengthening your knee completely. And he went, he underwent this severe, you know, went through severe pain through this. Uh, another fun fact about Derek Rose is not only does he like uh, his basketball and enjoys it and is really good, but he loves Chicago. Uh, Derek Rose, um, I watched a pre-draft interview with Derek Rose, um, and he was talking about how much he wanted to go to Chicago. Um, Chicago didn't have a high percentage of getting him. Obviously, they did. Um, but Derek Rose, lo- Derek Rose loves Chicago so much, he has two tattoos on both of his arms. Like, he has one here and one here. One says Inglewood, which is the, um, the, the community, the neighborhood that he's from in Chicago. 
uh, and it's in graffiti writing, in case you're curious about that. On the other one is the skyline of Chicago with a basketball that says Sweet, Sh- Sweet Home Chicago underneath it. Uh, so where am I going with all this? Um, there's just something about this story that, that tugs you, that pulls you, that draws you in. He got hurt. He came back and suffered extreme, you know, even hurting his knee, not hurting it more, but going through the pain so it could be back to health. Um, so he could play the next season for his team. He loves Chicago. He loves his team. He wants to bring a championship there. And there's something that just pulls at you that is, it's like, that's good. And not only does he want to win a championship, he wants to win it for his city. He wants to bring that championship home for Chicago. Um, in a very similar way, you know, Jesus does this with us. Except he doesn't do it for a city. He does it for us. Um, he does... He does this for us, for those who trust in him. He does this for everyone. Um, and Jesus saves us uh, by his compassion. You know, the ultimate expression of his compassion and his love is expressed on the cross. Um, Jesus was hanged on a cross, um, and he was uh, brutally injured, flogged, beaten um, by the same people he taught. The people he was teaching to, the parables he was teaching to them, are the people that killed him. The disciples whom he taught and compassionately and deeply loved are the ones that abandoned him when they came after him. Um, Jesus gets it. That's why he can look at your suffering and look at your pain and say, I know. I get it. I've been there. I've experienced injustice in deep ways. Um, but it, it, it was, he, just doesn't to, he just doesn't do it to do it. He does it for you. Uh, he offers this, this gift of salvation. He, you know, he came back to win us. His whole plan the whole time was win us, to win us back from the darkness, to redeem us. Um, and when, when you, know, you look at Jesus and hope and, in, you know, uh, and trust him alone for faith and salvation, in faith and salvation, uh, that invites you into security. You know, your insecurity gets turned into security. Um, your restlessness gets turned into rest. Um, having no direction for life, that gets turned into direction and purpose and meaning. Um, And that's really the invitation tonight. Um, You see what the disciples did. They went to Jesus. It was very flawed. It was very imperfect. But the only place they could go was to Jesus. They thought they were going to die, and they went to Jesus, and he heard them. Um, So really, that's the invitation tonight. Trust in Jesus by faith. He's our only hope. Um, Dear Lord, thank you for um, the gospel. Thank you for your son who came to win us back. Um, Please help that to grasp our hearts and our minds and we would live out of that. Thank you that you do offer us security in the gospel. Um, Please, we beg you to transform our hearts to grasp that more, that we would live out of that. Um, Thank you for being with us tonight. And uh, we pray all these things in your name. It's powerful. Amen.